No message guide today, um, so you're not missing anything. I didn't do one for you. Hopefully you have your Bible. We'll break open the Word of God together. Tonight uh, at 6 o'clock, um, we will, the Not I But Christ Bible, if you do the Not I But Christ Bible study, we will meet at 6. It'll be an abbreviated meeting, and uh, so we'll go over to the uh, Thanksgiving service shortly thereafter. We'll just kind of maybe touch on some things from last week. If anybody has any questions, uh, when Jeff Sherrill was here, you know, he gave a lot of information. It was a lot. Um, so we'll meet at 6 as normal, but we'll have an abbreviated time, and then we'll go over to the community Thanksgiving service. Amen? All right, open your Bible to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 2. Colossians 2, verse 6. I'm going to begin uh, talking today. Um, I, I was going to talk to you today about praying with thanksgiving, but last night I, I didn't get past my first two scriptures. So I think today I'm just going to kind of, um, we're going to be there, and then next week we'll continue in talking about why it is so important for us to pray with thanksgiving. And when you see in the scripture, it, it encourages us, it exhorts us over and over and over. It links prayer and thanksgiving continually in the scripture. Here in Colossians uh, chapter 2, verse 6, and I think the reason that, especially in Paul's writings, we see this, is because Paul is communicating something to the believers there is an implied understanding from Paul's point of view that, that these believers should have a knowledge, a revelation of who they are in Christ. And when we pray, when we come before the Lord in prayer, that there is an understanding, a knowing as to why we should come with thanksgiving. Amen? You know, in the Bible, it's commanded, we're commanded to pray without ceasing, but yet we're reminded that God knows before we ask. It's like, well, if God already knows, then why does he command me to pray? You know, why did Jesus teach over and over to, to be persistent in our praying if he already knows? And, and so there's this kind of a paradox that exists there. And I really believe this. Prayer is more for us. God's not getting anything from our prayers except glory. And we're going to talk about that next week. That, that in our praying, our prayers really ultimately should bring glory to God. And in our praying... And this is why the scripture tells us to pray with thanksgiving because when we do that, we are actually glorifying the Lord. And now I'm not going to go into the dynamics of that today. We're going to talk about that next week. But today I want to I start here in Colossians chapter 2. And let's begin in verse 6. We're going to go through this scripture, uh, these, these verses here. And, and I want you to catch... By the Spirit of God, what Paul is communicating. I really want to encourage you to become people of the Word. You know, we live today in a culture, in a time in which it's very easy for us to be lazy. It's very easy. You know, and I'm not here, I don't want to like heap some burden on you. Oh, I've got to read my Bible now, you know. It shouldn't be that way. You know, we can all remember, can you remember when you were in school and you were in love with somebody? And you had a crush on, maybe it's the person you're married to now, maybe it was somebody, you know, long, long gone. But did you ever pass love notes to one another? You know, before the days of texting and internet and email, we had to do it like the cavemen did it. We just had to write notes on paper. And find somebody to 
pass them along, you know, hey, give this to her in second period, you know, and, and, and you knew that note was coming, or you knew you were expecting, you were, well, what did you do? I mean, was it drudgery to open that love note and read that letter from your honey? No, you were actually excited to do it. You were anticipating because you wanted to know what they had to say. You wanted to know what was in their heart. Why do we look at the scripture as some drudgery? Something we have to do, and if I don't do it, God's going to be mad at me. No, he's not. He's not going to be mad at you. But you're missing a blessing. You're missing this love letter that God has written to you to reveal his heart to you. This book speaks of his love for us. It speaks of his heart for you. His undying love. And his heart of love and compassion and mercy toward you. There should be something in us that desires to break that open. And hear and know the heart of God. You can't get that from Christian television. I, I don't believe. You can't get that just by listening to a CD. or You can't get that by coming to church every Sunday or every Saturday or every Wednesday and listen to me or whoever else preach or teach. When you got those love letters, you wanted to read them yourself personally. You didn't have your friend read it to you. You didn't have somebody else read it. You wanted to read it. Because you wanted to be the first to see and the first to know the heart of the one you were drawn to. God has that kind of love and that kind of passion for us. He does. He proved that on the cross. He proved that love when he died for us, when he rose for us, when he ascended for us. And he still proves it today. And Paul is writing to these believers. And he's trying to get them to catch the revelation of who they are in Christ and what Christ has done for them. Because these people, like all people, past, present, and in the future, are assailed with the lie that, that communicates all kinds of things that are contrary to who God really is and what God's heart truly is toward his people. And so here in Colossians chapter 2, let's begin in verse 6. Paul says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him who is the head of of all principality and power. Now last night, as I was sharing, um, my wife told me, she said, you sounded angry. And then Steve confirmed, he said, yeah, when I pulled up last night, he said, I could hear you preaching from outside. Now I'm not angry. But I, I do, if any of you know me, I, I, I do get kind of loud. I'm always accused of being yelling. You're yelling. No, I'm not yelling. Those of you that really know me, when I'm yelling, I always say, if I'm yelling, you're going to know I'm yelling. <laughs> but, but, but I am passionate about what I'm talking to you about because... We're living in a time, Jesus said, discern the times that you're living in. And I want to remind you, Jesus stood over Jerusalem as he is going to the cross. And he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who have slain the prophets, how I have desired to draw you under my wing like a mother hen, her chicks. But you have missed your time of visitation. And I'm telling you what, church, 
This is your time of visitation on the earth. Forget what your theology is about when Jesus is coming back. I, you know, I, I'm going to just be honest with you. I pray to God it would, it, nothing would excite me more before this service is over. He wraps this whole thing up and we can just be taken out of here. That would be lovely. But, but what if it doesn't happen? You say, well, surely he's coming back before my lifetime's over. You know, a lot of people have said that and it hasn't happened. And here's the thing. See, you only have one life to live on this earth. That's why I say this is your time of visitation. We have a span of days. Only God knows how long they are. We have a span of days that we will walk this earth. And that's what I mean when I say this is your time of visitation on planet earth. God ordained in his sovereignty that you be born and that you walk this planet right here and right now. And the question is, what are we going to do during our time of visitation on this earth? People always said, you know, well, if I knew exactly when the Lord was coming back, man, I would just get on fire for him. And No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. Because if you're not already excited about him coming back, you knowing the date, not going to get you any more excited. You either are excited because of who he is, and he is coming back. Soon or not soon, only he knows, but he is coming back. But I do know this. I don't know when he's coming back, whether it's tomorrow or next year, or 10 years, or 20 years, I don't know. But I do know this. This is my time of visitation on this earth. This is my time. And the question is, what am I going to do with my time here? Am I going to live my life so consumed with myself that I am not making provision for those who are coming behind me. The scripture says that a wise man leaves an inheritance for his children and his children's children. And I believe that's more than where you're investing, what mutual fund or what stocks you're investing in. It's good to to leave an, an inheritance to your children. That's fine. But don't let it just be silver and gold. Because Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his very soul? And what I'm passionate about, church, is this. What I have seen, and I have been guilty of this. And it's time for the church to wake up and discern that this is right now for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ alive and walking planet earth right now. This is our... See what I mean? Some people would say I'm yelling right now. Does it sound like I'm yelling? Huh? Some are shaking your head yes, some are shaking your head. I'm sorry, it's just who I am. You're going you're gonna to have to love me just for who I am. But this is our time of visitation on the earth. What is the inheritance we are leaving our children and our children's children? I've never, I don't think I've ever told a political joke. I don't think I ever have. But I heard one today. I thought it was so funny. Have y'all heard about the new Obama value meal at McDonald's? Order anything you want, and the guy behind you will pay for it. (laughs) Now, we laugh, but I'm telling you what, that is what we are doing right now. You remember Hezekiah in the Old Testament? The Babylonians come. Nobody knew who the Babylonians were. It was before Babylon was in the news or in the papers. They weren't a world power. They were just some obscure little kingdom up north there and these representatives from Babylon came and Hezekiah took them and they he showed them all the treasures of the temple and gave them the grand tour and was so proud of everything and they ride off and they say thanks for the tour king they ride off into the sunset and here comes the prophet and the prophet says oh king basically what he tells him those people that you just took and showed They're going to rise up, become a mighty power. They're going to come back and they will take this city. They will take this temple. They will carry everything and everyone away. 
You know what Hezekiah said? But the prophet said, but it's not going to happen in your lifetime. You know what Hezekiah said? Well, as long as it doesn't happen in my lifetime, it doesn't bother me. It's pretty much what he said. Now, here's the problem, church. This has been the attitude that we have lived with, whether we want to admit it or not, whether it's been conscious or subconscious. We have not prepared an inheritance. You know how we came to the place that we are right now? You know how this country was founded? It's because men understood something and they made a way, they paved a way so that those coming behind them would be able to walk farther and do greater things. They didn't live just for themselves. They didn't take their time of visitation to be just about them and what they could amass and what they could gather and enjoy in their time here and then we're gone, we're out of here. There's too many Christians that look at their salvation as simply their ticket to heaven and they have no thought about what they are doing on this earth during their time of visitation. What are we preparing for our children and our grandchildren? Not just naturally, but spiritually. What, when we go on, what are we going to leave? Should the Lord tarry? Should he tarry? What are we going to leave the generation coming behind us? What will be the spiritual inheritance that we will leave them? What will it be? I'm going to tell you, if you want to know what it's going to be, look at our culture. I absolutely believe that our culture is a reflection of the church. See, we want to point fingers at Mr. Obama and the Congress, the Senate and the House and our governors and the politicians, but I got news for you. They were elected by the people. They are simply a reflection of the people. And our culture has become a reflection of the church. The church who decides that she wants to live inside of her Christian bubble. We're going to create our own language, our own culture. We got our own bookstores. We got our own music. We've got our own everything. We've made it where we don't even have to, 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 to be out there. And what were we called to be? We were called to be salt, and we were called to be light. Jesus said, what good is a light if you're going to just put it under a bushel and hide it and not let it shine into the darkness? Where did we get this mentality that as Christians, we're going to withdraw from everything and do our own thing and just sit here and wait until Jesus takes us away to heaven? If we live like that, what are we leaving for those who are coming behind us? Look around you. This is what we're going to leave them. Look at the state of our nation. Look at the state of the world. This is what we will leave them. Now, I'm not so naive as to think, and I said this, if you remember, week before last, I said this. We can't be so naive as to think that we're going to reverse the fall because we're not going to do it. But Jesus very clearly taught in the Gospels that he has entrusted us with something and we are to take that gift from on high. We are to take the light into the darkness. We are to take the salt into the earth. We are to take the life of Christ that's in us and let it be known and manifest. I have no control over what the world will do with it when I let the light shine. Or when I become the salt. I, I have no control over that. They may persecute me. They may reject me. They may hate me. They may do what they're going to do anyways. I don't care. All that's important is, have I done what God has told me to do? See, I can't save anybody. You can't save anybody. You can't change anybody. I want to think that my preaching and my teaching and my counseling and my persuasion is going to change it. No, my, it's not going to change anybody. Only God can change somebody. Only the Holy Spirit can change a life. Only the Holy Spirit's power 
can change and transform a soul and bring it into conformity with the image of Christ. But if I don't open my mouth, if I don't let my light shine, if I don't become salt to the earth, how are they going to know? And so God has commanded us not to withdraw and draw walls, put put walls around us and, and insulate ourselves from the world. He has commanded us to go into the world knowing that we're not of the world, but we should be on the forefront of loving the broken and the hopeless and those that are in despair. We should be the ones giving hope to those who have no hope. We should be the ones accepting those that have been rejected by everybody else. Not embracing or making light of their sin, but showing them a different way. We were all born into sin. And the only reason you're not in sin now is because you are born again. It's not by what you do or don't do, it's by who you know. Do you know him? Paul is writing here, and he says, As you guys have received Christ, so walk in Him. Rooted and built up in Him. Think about that. Rooted and built up in Christ. We shouldn't walk around and live on this earth in fear of anything. Over and over and over, the scripture says, fear not, fear not, fear not. Why? Because I am with you, says the Lord. I mean, God told Joshua that before he crossed over the Jordan. And that's Joshua under the old covenant. We now live in a better covenant based on better promises. We have entered into the promised land. Jesus is our promised land. And God is not just with us. Honey, he is in you, and you are in him. That's why the scripture says we have a better covenant based on better promises. It's not just God with me now. I'm not walking hand in hand with Jesus. He is my very life. He lives in me, and I live in him. You can't get any better than that. We need to be rooted and grounded and built up in that reality and that truth. Established in the faith, Paul says. As you have been taught. Now that brings me to another problem. I told told him last night about my niece, my younger niece. And and I was down, her older sister, my older niece, was having surgery. Thank you for your prayers. Everything turned out to be totally benign. She had a mass on her ovary. It it, 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 it was terrible, but it was all benign. And thank you for your prayers. Um, so I'm sitting there and I'm talking to my niece Tiffany. And Tiffany is, I, I didn't realize she's a school teacher, but she had been in the classroom for over 15 years. I'm like, my God, I didn't even know you were that old. You know, where have I been, you know? So she said, yeah, I'm going next weekend. She's going this coming weekend to get her master's degree. She, she said, I didn't go to my undergraduate cer- graduation ceremony. She said, I'm not missing my graduate ceremony. So she's going to Lamar University. She's getting her, her master's in education administration. And so she's not in the classroom anymore. And she said, yeah, she said, you know, 15 years in the classroom is enough. And, uh, and we happened to run into somebody else who was a lifelong teacher, and they'd been in, in the school district even when I was in Victorian school. And he's the PR guy at the hospital now at the medical center there. And, and, and uh, they were talking. He said, yeah, he said, you know, it used to be you could do 30 years in the classroom. He said, now 10, 15 years is about all a teacher will do in the classroom. He said, things have changed so much. He said, it's just not the same. And he said, it's hard to teach. He said, it's not about teaching. He said, you know, it's just horrible. And I'm reading this here, and, and Paul says, as you have been taught. Have you noticed that, that, that people aren't very teachable? Now, I, I did several years ago. I substituted just a little bit in the, in the schools here. And the first thing I noticed was it's very difficult to teach. Because kids, they just don't want to be taught. I'm not saying all do or all don't. Some do, but many don't. 
Where do you think that comes from? See, we want to point fingers at the teachers. Well, it's the teacher's fault. It's the principal's fault. It's the school superintendent's fault. No, it's not. You know whose fault it is? Mom and dad, look in the mirror. It's your fault. Look in the mirror, mom and dad. It's your fault. If your kid don't want to be taught, it's because you don't want to be taught. Paul says right here, as you have been taught... He is assuming something, that these believers have been taught and they should know the Christ they have received. They should know that as they have received Christ Jesus the Lord, they should walk in Him, rooted, established, and built up in the faith as you have been taught. Why is our culture unteachable? You know why? Because I think the church is unteachable. And maybe, no maybe about it, I think the church is unteachable is because you've had pastors and leaders who are more concerned about pleasing their people than teaching their people. We're more concerned about building our congregations and our numbers and our bottom line on the tithe and offering statements than we are teaching them the truth, even to the point that it may offend them. And it's wrong. It's wrong. Because if I truly love you, as hard as it may be for you to hear the truth, if I really love you, I'm going to tell you what I believe to be the truth. And I may be wrong, and if I am, pray for me. And if you think I'm angry, I'm not. I'm just excited. <laughs> no, I'm really not. But I am this. Listen, I, I am. I, I just sense in my spirit I'm telling you what, the Spirit of God is doing something. The Spirit of God is stirring the church because God knows the times and the days that we're living in. And He wants His people to wake up and understand and realize and discern the season that they're in. And maybe you're here today and you say, well, you know, that stuff about Jesus coming back soon, I, I don't believe it. I don't think He's ever going to come back in my lifetime. Okay, fine. If you believe that... The fact still remains, this is your time of visitation. What are you doing on this earth? What difference are you going to make for your children and your grandchildren, naturally and spiritually? What path are you blazing? Just like our founding fathers blazed a path. They, they made a trail in the wilderness and established a nation called America. They didn't do that by accident. They didn't do that because they were consumed with themselves. They did it with a forethought and a vision for something of the future. They did it because they loved God and the gospel. They weren't all on fire believers, but I'm telling you what, a lot of them did it for the gospel's sake. And they sacrificed for the gospel's sake. What are we doing today? Are we willing to sacrifice for those coming behind us? For the sake of the gospel. Are we willing to leave our Christian bubbles and become the light in the darkness? No one's going to escape this world alive. Either the Lord is going to change us or we're going to go by way of the grave. But every one of us here is going to stand before the Lord one day. Those people out there who don't know Jesus... We shouldn't be upset with them. Why, why are we upset with the world? They're the world. We should love them and have compassion on them. This shouldn't be an us against them thing. We were there. I was there one time. I was out in the world, lost in my sin, dead, and on my way to hell. Somebody prayed for me. Somebody witnessed to me. Somebody took the time to share Jesus with me so that I could come into the kingdom. Thank God that woman in East Austin didn't live in a Christian bubble and decide she didn't want to talk to me. But she did. And as a result, God used her to bring me into the kingdom. He wants to use us to dispel the darkness, to be salt in this earth. But we're going to have to be taught we're going to have to know the Christ we have received. And we're going to have to walk in Him. And if we believe a bunch of lies, if we believe a bunch of empty philosophy and vain, deceitful things that are just simply the traditions of men, and we don't break into this word right here, 
I'll say it last night, I'll say it again. There's people that will drive a thousand miles to get a word from God. When all you need to do is break open your Bible, you've got all the words you can handle. For the life of me, I do not understand why we'll drive hours upon end to get some word from the anointed man of God and we won't take the time to simply open our Bibles and see what God has said in his word. Why do we want to go get another word from God when we're not even obeying the one he's given us right here? Help us, Lord. Can you guys see that? Can you see that? But do you see how appealing that is? It's exactly what Paul said in the last days. Man, we're going to want someone to tickle our ears. It's not a new thing. Remember I told you about Jeremiah. Nobody wanted to believe Jeremiah. You know why? Because he didn't have a popular word. But he had a true word. He had a true word. There wasn't anything that country was going to do to prevent their captivity. It was a done deal. God said it's going to happen. You've, You've already gone over the limit. But the captivity was not for their evil. It wasn't. It was for their good. And Jeremiah was trying to help them understand this is going to happen. And here's what you need to do. You know what he told? You know what he told Israel? He said, when you get in the land, he said, you need to marry. You need to have children. You need to build houses. You need to plant vineyards. You're going to be there 70 years. You need to get there and you need to get established so that you can become a witness in that land. And the false prophets were saying, no, don't listen to Jeremiah. We're not going to be there that long. We're not going to be there that long. First they said, we're not going to be carried away captive. Well, when that happened, they said, well, okay, we are going to be carried away captive, but we're not going to be there as long as Jeremiah said. Jeremiah said, no, don't listen to those false prophets. They're telling you what you want to hear, but they're not telling you the truth. See, the point of it is, church, I don't know how long we're going to be here, but it's not going to be very long because how long is our life? If you live to be 100, what's 100 years compared to eternity? It is nothing. What are you going to do during your time of visitation on this earth? When are we going to come to know the Jesus that we have received? When are we going to begin to walk in him? When are we going to allow the Holy Spirit to begin to teach us? When are we going to allow him to begin to tear down the philosophies and the empty, deceitful traditions that we have embraced that have caused us to forsake the inheritance we should be leaving? That have caused us to hide our light under a basket. That have caused us to not be salt in this earth. When are we going to forsake that? See, your salvation is more than just your ticket to heaven. God saved you. He made you whole, spirit, soul, and body to make an impact in this earth. For as long as you're going to be here, and you don't know how long that is, and I don't know how long it is. If he's coming tomorrow, what are you going to do between now and then to make a difference? Abounding in it with thanksgiving, Paul says. Why? What do we have to be so thankful for? See, if if my prayer is only about reminding God that he needs to be good to me, If my praying is only about reminding God of of what I need and he needs to deliver it to me, then I've missed the whole point. Because when I pray that kind of prayer, that's not a prayer with thanksgiving. Because I'm only seeing what I perceive to be lacking instead of all that he has already given me. The scripture says he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us and has made us through these great and precious promises he has made us partakers of the divine nature now see that should just cause you to get into a hallelujah breakdown right there but you know why we don't because we don't have a revelation of really what God has done for us in Christ Jesus I said 
the scripture declares that he has made us partakers of the divine nature. He has, past tense, already done, given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by mercy and virtue. He has already done it. That's how I can abound with thanksgiving. That's what Paul is saying. The Jesus you guys received. Understand what Jesus you received and so walk in him. And as you become built up and established in the faith, you should abound with thanksgiving because of the revelation of what you have received in Christ. Beware, verse 8, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. Don't be a lazy Christian. Don't let Christian television and Christian radio be how you get your nourishment. I'm just going to be real honest with you. I think, see, I'm going to be mean. Some of you are going to think I'm mean. I'll just, I told him last night, I might as well, I think 99% of what's on Christian television is nothing but a bunch of junk. It's junk. It's the traditions of men, it's manipulation. Sow your $1,000 seed and you'll get a hundredfold return. That's not even what that scripture means. That's not what Jesus meant when he said that. But we play on the emotions of people. We manipulate people because we know how to manipulate them. It's not what that means. We shouldn't give to try to get back. If you do, you're giving for the wrong reason. You should give because of Christ in you. You should give because the God who gave everything lives inside of you. And we now have his nature. Why wouldn't I give? And why am I trying to figure out whether I have to give a tithe or more? Can I give more? Should I tithe on the gross or the net? You've missed the whole point. You think God was up in heaven going, now do I need to send my son or, ah, man, okay, does he really have to die? Or uh, let's see, uh, how can I do this and get away as cheap as possible? No. He freely, freely gave everything. That's the nature we have. It's not about manipulation. It's not some jackpot in the sky. You give because God, the giver, the greatest giver, lives on the inside of you. Don't be manipulated. Don't be deceived by empty and vain philosophies and traditions of men, according to the basic principles of this world, we are not of this world. We should not live according to the principles of this world because we are not of this world. We live in the world. Don't confuse it. See, here's where we've confused it. We think because we're not of the world, we should have nothing to do with the world. No, the reality is we are not of the world we are of Christ, but we are in the world, and we should affect the world all around us. Should we be wise with our money? Absolutely. Should we believe that if we sow in faith that we should expect a return? Absolutely. Doesn't every farmer do that? Yes. But there's a big difference between sowing in faith and believing God to honor his word and manipulating people and scaring them into Writing a thousand dollar check that they don't have any business writing. Big difference. We need to be wise. See, and if we don't take the time to learn and to be taught according to the scripture and the truth, we'll fall for the manipulation every time. We'll fall for the vain philosophy every time. We'll fall for the deceit. And we should be wiser than that because we have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us. And He is the Spirit of truth, Jesus said. We should not live according to the basic principles of the world. We should live according to Christ. We're not of the world. We're of Christ. For in Him, look at verse 9, for in Him, in Christ, 
dwells all, say all, all the fullness. In Christ dwells all, is that leaving anything out? All the fullness. Where does Christ dwell now? Huh? Oh, in us. So did Christ leave anything out when he came to dwell in you? If he is the fullness, in him dwells all the fullness, are you lacking anything? Now, I know you said no, but do you really believe no? In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you, look at your neighbor and say you. And you are complete, complete in him. It doesn't say you're almost complete. It says you are complete. What does complete mean? It means what? It means complete. He is the fullness. In him the fullness dwells. He dwells in you. You are complete in him. Now let's go back to verse 6. This is what Paul is teaching these believers in the Colossian church. As you therefore have received Christ. What Christ did you receive when you were born again? Did you receive the Christ who is the fullness of the Godhead bodily? Did you? Then the fullness dwells in you. Did you receive the Christ who is complete? And if you are in him now, you are complete in him. Is that the Christ you received? Yes. Yes. Who is? Look, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him who is the head. Not the tail, not the midsection. Who is the head of all principality and power we got too many Christians running around scared of the devil. Why are you scared of the devil? He is defeated. Ephesians says he is the ruler of the darkness of this age. But honey, you are not of the darkness. He is not your ruler. You can make the argument that he's the God of this world. Guess what? You're not of the world. So he's not your God. Colossians 2.15 says he was defeated, disarmed, and God in Christ at the cross made an open spectacle of him and triumphed completely over him. It's a done deal. He's defeated. Why are we scared of the devil? Why are we running around when we have the very fullness of the Godhead bodily living on the inside of us, who is the head of all power and principality, that's who lives on the inside of us as born-again believers, and we're running around worried about a devil? See, that's what he wants you to do. But if you know this Christ as you therefore have received Christ, what Christ have you received? If you've received the Christ Paul is talking about here, then walk in him as you have received him. In other words, walk in his fullness. Walk in the completeness that you are now in him. Walk in the authority that he has given to you because he is the head of all power and principality. Walk in it. Walk in the fullness and the completeness and in the authority. Walk in it. Why, Pastor Jeff? Why can't I just sit and wait to get to heaven one day? It'll be a lot easier because that's not what Jesus told you to do. Jesus said, occupy until I come. That word occupy in the Greek means to be busy about the business. The business of what? The business of the kingdom. We need to be busy about being lights in the darkness, salt in the earth. We need to be busy about preparing an inheritance for our children and our children's children spiritually and every other way. We need to understand who this Christ is that we have received. And as the Spirit of God gives us a revelation of this Christ... 
we should so walk in him. And I implore you, church, to walk in Christ as you have received him. Not because God's going to be mad at you if you don't. Can we get over that? Can we get over this whole thing of, of being afraid that if I don't do exactly to please God, that he's going to be mad at me, he's going to throw a lightning bolt at me, he's going to take my salvation away from me? See, that, that's, the, that's what the devil wants you to live in. See, if you never come to know the Christ that you've received, you're going to live in, in the wrong kind of fear. There should be a fear of the Lord returned to the church and because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge and understanding. But we need to understand why, what this fear is, who this God is. Paul says, what, what are you, listen, if God did not withhold his own son but gave him freely, how much more will he not give us all things? And that's not for our personal enrichment. That is for our equipping to do the work of the kingdom as long as our time of visitation is on this earth. I am responsible for my time of visitation. However long my years may be on this earth, I am responsible for them. Let us not forget, let us not miss our time of visitation. Let's be busy about the business of the kingdom. If the Lord splits that eastern sky open tomorrow, I want to know that I did everything that I was supposed to do. Not because I'm afraid he's going to be mad at me if I don't, but because of the passion and the love of him that is on the inside of me for this world that is lost and dying without him. Amen. All right, I'm going to stop right there. We're going to pick up from there next week. That's my introduction, okay? That's my introduction. We'll go from there next week. Be challenged. If you thought I was mad at you today, I'm sorry. I apologize. If you thought I yelled at you today, I, I really didn't yell at you. Come to my house sometime and I'll, I'll yell at you and you'll see what yelling really is. And, it's not what I did today. <clears throat> you know, I usually don't yell at people. I usually yell at inanimate objects. I, I don't know why, that, but I do. You know, I don't abuse people, but I have been known to abuse inanimate objects. You know, but I don't do that anymore. You know, God delivered me from that, mostly. So every once in a while, you know, if I go out and my dog's torn the trash up and it's got it all over the yard, you know, I'll kick the trash can or something. Huh? Yeah, you probably, yeah. You know, it's like Adam, Adam, when God came and Adam said, it's that woman's fault, God. My dog does that, I say, it's Richard's fault, God. He gave me that dog. <laughs> I love my dog. I love my dog. I wouldn't trade her for anything. She's a sweetie. Praise God. Isn't God good? God is so good. He is so good. We have so much to be thankful for. What he has given us in Christ is absolutely amazing and mind-blowing. Don't let the world and the cares of this world blind you to that reality. Walk in that reality. Live in that reality. Walk in his fullness, in his completeness, and in his authority. Amen? Amen? This is our time of visitation. We should be excited about it. Not complacent, not apathetic. We should be excited of all people on the earth. Hallelujah. What God has promised us is unbelievable. This earth is not always going to be here as we see it. But let's make the best. Let's do what we're called to do for Christ. Let's bring glory to the Father through the time that God has given us here on this earth. Amen? Hallelujah. Let's all stand. Well, Father, we thank you so much, Lord. Lord, we thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord. Lord Jesus, you came. And you have offered yourself to us. Those that... that through faith, we'll receive the gift that you've given, Father God. I 
pray today, Lord, if there's anyone here that has not received that gift, that gift of life, the gift of the Son, that, Lord, before they leave here today, they would acknowledge their need and they would, by faith, receive the gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus. If you're here today, before we do anything else, if you say, Pastor Jeff, I'm not born again, but I want to get born again before we leave here today. I want to confess Jesus as my Savior. If that's you, raise your hand. Is there anybody, anybody, anybody that's not born again, but you want to be before you leave here today? Anyone? Anyone? Well, Father, by our admission, we are either all believers or we are content with where we are right now. But Father, I pray for those who have named the name of Jesus, those who are born again, Lord, those that have received your fullness, those that have received your authority, God, those that have the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwelling in their mortal bodies. Father, I pray that we would be a people passionate about our time of visitation on this earth, that, God, we would not let the cares of this world and the things, Lord, to just choke out what you have done in us, Father God, that we would be a people passionate about being salt and light in this earth to this lost world, Father God. And I pray that, Lord, especially, Lord, in this season when we're so mindful of giving thanks, Lord, we should be mindful of it every day. Father, I just pray that you would do a work by your Spirit to provoke us, to correct us. Lord, not in anger. You're not a God angry with us. You're a God who loves us. The Scripture says a father corrects his children because he loves them. And Lord, if we're a people that need correction, correct us because of your love for us, that we might be a people that would walk as we have received Jesus Christ the Lord, to walk in your fullness, in your completeness, and in your authority, bringing glory to your name for all eternity, God. We thank you and we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. God bless you. Have a great, great Thanksgiving. And if you're here and you want prayer, maybe you have sickness in your body, you've got lack, something going on in your life and you want prayer, please come and we will be happy to pray with you. It's good to see you, babe. I've been.